0: Hi, gente, welcome to Peruvian City USA, the podcast where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. This is your host, Natalie Sofia, and this community was born from the need to create a space for Peruvian immigrants to come together, to support each other, to learn from each other, and to document our stories. The stories our guests share with us are deeply personal and paint a new portrait of what it means to be a Peruvian immigrant. I hope you receive these stories with an open heart and an open mind. So, let's get started. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag Peruvians of USA. All right, here's our conversation. All right. Welcome Karina F. Davis, to Peruvians of USA. I am thrilled that you are here. As I was mentioning, I've been a fan of you for several months now. I encounter your episode in Yo Quiero Dinero podcast, and I've been uh, binge listening to your podcast as well as to other interviews you've done in podcasts. So I'm really, really happy that you're here and that we're going to get to talk about so many things. But please, Karina, introduce yourself to the audience of Peruvius of USA.
1: Thanks, Natalie. You are amazing. And I just want to first like give you so much thanks and gratitude for doing something like this for our community. You know, like, It's wonderful when we see like Latinx stuff and it's amazing. But every time I see my Peruvian flag or Peru and anything, I'm like, yes, they remember us, Um, you know, and I just feel so special because I think about all the years when we migrated to this country and always feeling like kind of like the country that was left out and thinking like South America is so huge and we weren't predominantly mentioned back in the years when I first got here in the 90s. So I just want to first thank you for doing this work. And yes, my name is Karina F. Daves. I'm a life coach and the podcast host of One Day at a Time. And I love helping women get their freaking lives back. And my hope is that during this episode, Natalie and I would be able to just share our testimony, share our stories and really dive deep into, you know, the heart and souls of the things that got us to where we are today.
0: Yay! Yes. And I agree with you. I definitely think Peru was, I came in the 90s as well. Um, And we were just a country that nobody really talked about. Nobody knew anything. Thank you. And you know, especially in 1999, there was a Latin explosion. And Luis Miguel, Enrique Iglesias, Shakira. So everybody knew about Spain and Colombia and Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. which great, fantastic country. I love love those countries. But you, you feel left out. You're like, oh, what about Peru? You know, so.
1: And you know what's so funny? It wasn't up till Maybe five eight years ago, that everybody was like, "Oh my God, have you tried ceviche?" And I'm like, "Look at me! Do you know what country I'm from?" Yes, in the womb, in the, the, the <laughs> womb, yeah. in the womb. Like we invented ceviche. Okay, like I know there's ceviche in other countries, but like, and they're like, "Have you tried lomo saltado?" I'm like, the easiest freaking Peruvian dish to make. Yes, I've tried lomo saltado. You know, like it was so insane to me how I would say in the last five to eight years, Peruvian cuisine has taken off, like off. Yeah. And I am, I feel so proud, but I will say as much as I support all of it, I will still go to the hole in the walls because they are a lot cheaper. So I, Can I just say as much, I will support everybody, right? But to go from getting a plate of ceviche for like $13, that is huge, to then getting like a little cup of ceviche for $15. I'm like, dang, like I get it. I will support you, but it's you a know, lot.
0: I totally get it. Um, when we go to restaurants, like new restaurants here in the DC area with my husband, I'm always like, you know, you could buy that for like cinco soles. In right? <laughs> and like we're, we're paying literally like 30 plus, 40 plus dollars here. And like, you can get it for cinco soles, yeah soles, you know, which is mm-hmm. like $3, less than $3. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. And then when you know that it, it I don't want to say it doesn't take effort. It does take effort, but it's not the gourmet style. Like that's not grandma. Like grandma used to serve no. you like rice and potatoes, you know. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> but and,
1: anyways,
0: okay. And, so if you're gonna get Peruvians together, we're gonna talk about food. That's just facts. So, She's that's right. She's so
1: right. We really are. <laughs> it's because it's the best food. Sorry. It is.
0: It's I'm the sorry. Best food. It's, it's the
1: best food. Yeah. It's the best. <laughs>
0: Period. <laughs> so I think I mentioned that I got introduced to you in the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast, where you talked about reinforcing your boundaries and living authentically. And that was such a, a great episode for me to listen to because at that moment I was shedding some friendships, which, and it felt very, very difficult to do that. Can you talk about why it's important for us to set boundaries and also like tie it to our culture and why is it so difficult for us to set boundaries?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, every time I get this question, I always feel like I give a different answer. I would say that for me, predominantly, I didn't even know I had to set boundaries when I set them. And what was going on in my life in particular is that I was checking so many things off of a list. Like I, I, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I'm sure anybody listening can understand that pressure. It's a lot of freaking pressure. And then I went and I got my master's. I got married. I had a baby. I was saving for a home. I did everything that everybody wanted me to do. And I had a really good circle of friends. And I had a couple of friends that I thought were good for me, but they really served an earlier version of me, one that was I don't want to call it immature, but one that was just really stuck in certain ways that weren't going to grow me anymore. Like everybody has the party phase and the gossip phase and the phase where like you connect with certain people, but the foundation of it is gossip or partying or drinking. And I'm not saying I don't drink or party. I'm just saying that like it just was a different phase of my life. And through that time period, it wasn't until I got sick that I had to was forced to stop and be like, oh my gosh, like I realized like who were people that were really there for me and who weren't. And it wasn't that I wanted transactional friendships where I felt like, oh my God, like Giovanna's not there for me, you know, and I'm totally sick. It wasn't like there for me physically. It was just this feeling that I felt like in my darkest moments, they weren't my first call. And I thought to myself, why am I putting so much energy and effort in relationships that I don't really value as much anymore? And I'm not saying that like, I was like, cut them off and they're bad people. I'm just saying that they just like really didn't work for that season of my life. And I think admitting that is really hard to do. You feel like the most horrible person in the world. And because I'm a recovering people pleaser, it's when I started identifying that I needed boundaries because I was serving Other people and their needs and their wants instead of my own. And so I would say that that was definitely the first step. When it came to my family in particular, there was a turning point when I got married that I realized that my family could only take me so far and that the rest was really my responsibility. I love my parents, they are amazing people. They migrated to this country. Like I could get so emotional with so many people, we could like hug in a circle about the sacrifices that our families have made for us to be in the very seats that we are today. And I'll tell you very quickly, I'll just pause here and tell you that a couple of days ago, I went to go see my grandmother and she had just had eye surgery. And I literally sat in her living room and I said, grandma, my grandpa was there too and so was my mom. And I said, I just want you to know, they were asking me about my new job that I just got hired a month ago in the tech industry. And they said to me, and I said to them, I just want to let you guys know that I wouldn't be able to have the salary or opportunities that I have today if it wasn't for the things that you guys sacrifice. I want to let you know that I know that you sacrifice dreams. I know that you didn't get to be all the things that you wanted to be when you were younger today, but I get to, and I appreciate, and I love you so much for that. And I want you to know that I wouldn't be here today, right? But With all that said, doesn't negate all of the things that weren't so good growing up. And so I say that because I love my family. But when I got married, things just shifted in a way where I come from a lot of divorce and a lot of broken relationships, a lot of marriages that are together that really shouldn't be together, but they're still together. Right. And it came a turning point where. My family didn't really agree with some of the decisions that I was making. And I really had to pray about it. And it was the first time that I realized that taking a break from my family and coming back stronger was going to make things better. And I think a lot of the times with our families and boundaries, we think that we're hurting them. And I'm telling you that the way that you set your boundaries, and if you're intentional and not malicious, and it's coming from a good place, it can really, really have positive dividends. Cause, and it did for me when I set boundaries. And I'm gonna tell you this, I don't, it just didn't happen once. I remember it was maybe eight, nine months ago. I told my mom, mom, your spirit ain't right. Like when you come over, you're really anxious. You're a little bit rude. I think we got to take a break. And my mom was like, oh my God, my God. she was so, so mad at me. And I was like, mom, I love you, but we need a break. She was like, and I was like, heartbroken. Right. And I was like, all right, mom, I'm sorry, but we need a break. And we took like a two month break. And my mom will seriously come on the show and she will tell you that every time we take a break, we get stronger.
0: That's such a powerful message to say that we can come back stronger for taking a break from our family and our loved ones, because like I have not been able to succinctly share my own story in that way, because it is true. Like, I went away to college, and that in a way also helped me see different things, be out of the protection of my family, get exposed, learn lessons. And then, with my first job, and just at different phases of my life. And fortunately enough, I did have a mom who wanted all those things for me, although my dad was a little bit more protective of like, you should stay closer to home. Right. But I 100% agree and just want to reiterate for the audience it's okay when you come from a good place, it's okay to. Want to explore that break? It doesn't mean it's a break forever. You're not breaking up forever with your family. It's it's literally a, a, a quick break that allows you the mental space to do some of the things that you need to do for growth. So I think that's such a powerful message. But you also talked about in your own uh, podcast and IG live, which I listened to, about boundaries with your husband. <laughs> what? I was like, wait, we're supposed to have boundaries with our well. So can you, can you share a little bit about that too? Because I'm, I'm not, I guess I could consider myself still wed. I'm wed. And so in the beginning of every relationship is very like, let's be together all the time mm-hmm. and let's do everything together. And, um, and so definitely boundaries within a relationship are, are also very valuable. Tell us about how You were able to sort of, what made you think about, hey, I need to establish those boundaries with my husband. And then how did he take that message?
1: Yeah. So anybody that knew me before I got married, like I was Karina F. Martinez, who like took every single freaking risk. Like I, like, you know, I know people that think about um, a decision they want to make for weeks and they just pace and they're like, and I like those people. We can be friends. But for me, I am not one of those people. I am like on the fly. Let's do this or let's not do this. And if we fail, it's we didn't even fail. We created an opportunity for growth. Like I don't even see things as failure many of the times, right? Well, when I got married, it was like I am a big bubble. Like, hi, nice to meet you, whatever, right? And my husband, he's not the opposite. He's just a little bit more guarded than I am. So when we moved in together after we got married, you know, he was just like, you know, you can't like be nice to everybody. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because people will take advantage of that. And I'm like, so <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> You're like, and, that's their problem. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, so and I'm like, you know, that person didn't say hi to you and you say hi to them. Who cares? Oh, I, like I, there was stuff that I just didn't care about. Right. And he goes, you have to be careful. And I'm like, why? Cause they might rob you or, and I, it was just like this like form and, and like, over time of the way he protected me that it sort of hindered my personality and the way I was very joyful. And I'm not saying that he was wrong because there was plenty of times where like he saw things before I saw things. And so I want to give him credit for that. But I realized that like I was running too many things by my partner. And in essence, I get it. Like we are one household. We are one partnership united by you know God as our third knot. You know, if you listen to anything, you know how much I love Jesus. And so like Within all that, like I knew we were one, but I also knew I was still an individual and there came a point and this was, we're, we're in year 10 now. So this was probably like year five or six. It was pretty late. And I had a conversation with my husband and I said, you know, I, I've changed and I think I've changed to make you happy in this like weird way to accommodate. Yeah. To like accommodate you Mm -hmm. and it's not your fault. It's Mm -hmm. totally me. Like I need to work on myself, but I've realized that your opinion weighs so heavy on me that sometimes it strikes me like frozen and I don't make the move that I would have made if I didn't ask for your advice. And I said, I love you so much and and I benefit so many times from your advice, but there are going to be a lot of things that I think I need to do on my own like I did before. And I'll tell you how it goes after. <laughs> and my, <laughs> husband just, my husband just, not tell you afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And my husband just looked at me and was like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. And, you know, it, it, it was really, Natalie, was this turning point in our marriage where, like, he even shared with me, he was like, you know what? He was like, I kind of feel the same way. And I was like, about what? I'm like so excited. Now you're done. I'm like (laughs) now you made this conversation about you. Everything is about you. I can't have one moment to myself, you know. And he starts laughing, and I'm like, about what? And he's like, you know, I'm starting to build a race car, and sometimes I I feel like I'm asking for permission rather than letting you know what I'm doing. And he goes, it's nothing to do with you. He's like, you just have such a strong personality. And I'm like, really? I was like, I didn't think I was like that. And he was like, no, no, no. We brought it up in marriage therapy. And I'm like, okay, okay, fine. And I said, okay, I get it. So then it, what I mean by there was this shift in our marriage is that there was no more like, is it okay if like I go do this? It was this very mature conversation, which was like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, going to this racetrack meet for three days. Do you think there's anything in the way of that? Is there anything I can do to support you? I can do the since it's my event, I'll figure out the babysitter and you can be home. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Or like, I'll say, I remember when I dropped my, my business plan on my husband, I was like, yeah, I just let you know, I'm starting this life coaching business. <laughs> And, and I would, I would tell him my prices and he'd be like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, don't, you sure? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm just letting you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned that was so helpful for me was that sometimes we as women, I know I do it for sure. Kind of talk to him about the process and all the different decisions I have. Yeah. As opposed to coming with like the final decision because like mm-hmm. he could see gaps and holes in the different in the different decisions and kind of interfere and interfere and make me lose um, you know, like that feeling that I may yeah. have with something. So one of the things I've tried to do better is to like process kind of maybe at the beginning on my own and then get to a more final state and then share that with him mm-hmm. and see how that impacts the relationship or calendars or whatever, right? So yeah.
1: and there's nothing wrong with like coming to your partner when your idea is really premature. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying that if you also, like how you just mentioned, when it takes away your gut feeling or your joy that you had it from the beginning and that's not protected, that's what I mean when it's a problem. So like, if you feel strong enough to like come to them in the beginning and you're just like setting it off and whatever they say doesn't bother you, like right now I can tell you that, I can tell my husband, I remember when I pitched to him Banana Chica, and I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, this and this. And this. And I was like, oh, yeah, but don't worry. Like, everything will be fine. <laughs> like, but I had a lot of practice to get to that point. Like I'm, Like I'm saying, this was like year five, where I just felt like I, and maybe you could call it my confidence. I don't know. But like, I really needed boundaries with my husband because I needed to protect my own feelings. And I felt like I wasn't in a place where I see, like when your husband tells you something, like, I don't know. I maybe it was even at that stage in my marriage. He was just like such a heavy presence, you know, like you sleep with the guy, you like wake up with the guy, you know, you like hang out and eat and stuff like you love them, you know, and they're always there. So like their opinions, they weigh so heavy. It's like it transfers from your parents to your partner. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's because you have that loyalty, that respect for them, mm. that, of course, their opinions go into matter. But, you know, it shouldn't be at the detriment of your own gut feeling, yes. of your own joy. So, yeah, no, I definitely yes. understand that for
1: sure. Yes. And they're like and the thing is, like, your husband is not meaning to, like, steal your joy. They just want to protect you. So when I started seeing it that way is when I realized, okay, my husband's not a bad person. He's not a negative Nancy. He's really just trying to protect me. And I get it, but I also need to protect my joy.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the conversations I had with my husband, we're both content to be workaholics because uh, again, for us, it's like immigrants were hustle. You know, we had that hustle mentality and him, he's African-American. Again, also the hustle mentality, got to make it, there's so much, you know, uh, generational curses to to break, mm-hmm. so much generational things to overcome, and so but we had a conversation about like how much we were working, and in his mind, it's like, well, I'm providing for us, even though I'm working as well, but like he's he's preparing for the future, he wants to build that nest, right, and so it's also for me it was like set, trying to alleviate that pressure from him that we're in this together, like it's not just on you right like we both have to do it together,
1: Natalie, I have to tell you something. <laughs> So two months ago, no, like a month ago, we've been in marriage therapy for seven years now. A month ago, our therapist said to Terrence, and my husband's fine me sharing this because he knows that I have a podcast myself. So anyways, the therapist said, why are you in competition with Karina? And I remember my husband took a step back and he was like, that's how I was raised. Wow he was like, I was raised to be in competition with whomever it was. And I didn't, I didn't realize that I was in competition with my wife until this very moment. And that's why I'm such a huge advocate for therapy because most people wait for problems like we did to go into therapy. And it's important, I think, to go before you have problems because it's like the best investment we've ever made. And our therapist really challenged us on the psychology of our own self-confidence and where it comes from. And it was like, we were blown away. We were like, and my husband was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that we were one. Like, he's like, I always knew we were one, but I always competed with you.
0: That's so power. That's such a powerful experience. Oh my God. I would, you should interview your husband on that if you haven't already. <laughs>
1: I should,
0: right, because I, really I, I think there's many other men who who feel that way. So I think I'll be really curious to to listen to that perspective. So shifting a little bit into your Peruvian story, as mentioned, you are from Peru. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your peruvian immigrant story like you mentioned that you were uh, you i know from listening to other podcasts that you came in the 90s and you know a little bit of your immigrant experience but i guess share a little bit with the audience yeah
1: What's of like- course so it's so interesting because A lot of the times people will say, oh, you didn't even have an accent. And listen, like, maybe I'm indifferent to this, but sometimes I kind of find that comment a little bit offensive because I'm like, so what if I did or didn't, right? What is the goal never to have an accent? I don't know. But anyways, so I, we migrated here. My mom came, no, wait, my dad came first. And then my mom came, when my mom came, their marriage, uh, my mom and my dad was on the rocks. It wasn't in a good place, Um, but they decided to try. And then they brought me over in 1990 in May. My mom said I came like after Mother's Day or something. I was about four, turning five, and I was very like when I look at my kids, like I think they're very forward. I was very like advanced, um, and I think it was, it had a lot to do with the way my parents raised me. They never talked to me like I was four years old. They always talked to me like I was ten or fourteen, um, and I think you know when I got to this country. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think about like how we build our children, but a lot of us, and I'm, I'm sure you can relate, we're put in situations that I can't imagine like my own six-year-old, like by six years old, like I knew the P C G and G bill. I knew my, both of my parents social security numbers by heart, helping them do their taxes, helping <laughs> them do their taxes. Like I was at the doctor's office translating, like it was a lot. And I just, I'm not saying that my kids wouldn't be able to do it. I'm just saying that their lives are really different. And when we got here, we lived in a a basement and then we moved to a second floor and then we moved to a duplex. And then by 97, um, my sister was born in 93, but by 97, my parents got divorced. And it's an interesting story because when we got here, we had nothing. And my dad ended up working at ShopRite the night shift from 11 to 7 And at that time, he was making like $18 an hour. And in 1990, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So my dad was able to really bring us up on this rise. And man, we had everything. Like the first couple of years, we had nothing. But then I remember probably like ages like eight and nine and 10, we had a lot. And then once my parents divorced, they both went bankrupt. And I think that that was really the first indication that neither parties were ever really shown any type of financial education, right? Like the only message you get when you come to America is just work, 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 but nobody knows how to save. Nobody knows how to invest. That's what I was going to say. Nobody knows how to invest. Nobody knows how to do anything and you just work, 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 but what are you working for? Right? And so once my parents got divorced, my dad, I remember my dad picked me up. My dad was like a 37 year old man delivering pizzas And I was, I remember being so like watching my dad just start over. And it was, it was kind of sad. And my mom started over again. We lived in my mom's, my grandma's basement. My mom got remarried and growing up, my parents, they were amazing parents. Like they were not good together, but they were great co-parents. I think that the toxic things that came into it were rooted in gossip, disloyalty, it was like very normal to like say white lies and like that's what they painted it as and just like talk about everybody and their mama and it was just something that came with me to college and I realized that it wasn't actually a good characteristic to have as a friend and it was something that I worked on for actually I didn't start working on it so I was like 21 or 22 but that was something that I definitely didn't want to have and then when I was 21 my, the first company I worked for, the finan- they had financial investors for their employees, sat me down and literally just created my whole per- investment portfolio for me. So I grew up in a very loving family with a lot of the normal same issues that everybody else usually has. I mean, I could write a book, um, I'm sure everybody else can. But one thing remained there was not one day that passed by that I wasn't reminded. That I was Peruvian, like not one day, like every day we talked about Peru, if the Peruvian radio wasn't playing, if they didn't spend an extra thirty dollars on the Peruvian channel, if the if Penatur. The, Penatur. yes <laughs> if the if the fridge wasn't stocked with inca-cola or every single time we went to a restaurant we got like ten million alfajores. I mean, there was a a carpet on the wall. Of-
0: oh my god, everybody has <laughs> that carpet
1: <laughs> of the llama and Machu Picchu. Like it was everywhere. And from the day that I lived with my parents till 17 years old, when I left for college, mm-hmm. my mother cooked Peruvian food yeah. every day. Yeah, every day. The first time I ate Wendy's, I was. 16 years old and I almost threw up. It was the most disgusting thing I ever eaten in my life. I was like, where are the onions in this hamburger? You know, like I was, I felt so bougie. I was like, what is this?
0: (laughs) You're like, I'm I'm used to home cook meals.
1: Yeah. I'm like, this is disgusting, you know, (laughs) but I will say culture and love, is the one thing that that was not missed not missed was definitely reminded of and my family is also afro-peruvian and so i there was a lot of like just conversations around festejo and afro-peruvianism like there was just so much more um to learn from those roots it was really beautiful to watch actually
0: that's awesome so One of the things that there are conversations now on the, from the Peruvian diaspora on Afro-Peruvians, right? And trying to bring more, more representation to the forefront of what we see as Peruvians uh, in TV and the media. In Peru, in many ways, certain things are still accepted. How you talk to people, how you refer to them or, so did you, did you, did your family talk at all of any of that shift? So to give an example, so if, so for example, like there's certain things when I go back to Peru and I hear like extended family say, and I'm like, you can't say that. Like, you know, because here in the U.S., we, I mean, I'm not saying that the U.S. is perfect in any way, but in the U.S., I think we have a little bit more t- sensitivity. And that's the, I'm not trying to say that as a bad word either, but more respect maybe of how we want to communicate, right? Those differences. But I don't see that as much in Peru. And I see them... Being talked about a lot more. I guess I'm always curious about what is the Afro-Peruvian experience of coming from Peru, a country that back in the '90s more racist than it is now. To here, which again, it's still a racist country, maybe less so in uh, communication style than policies, and that's another issue, right? That yeah, we can talk yeah. about So I,
1: I definitely think it was brought up constantly because, like, a lot of my family members, you know okay, how do I say this? A lot of the women, a lot of the Afro Peruvian women in my family married white, you know, in Peruvian men, because they were led to say that that was the better way to go. And I'm not saying that they were not in love with these men. I'm just saying that they were pushed very for you know to do that and I'm actually a product of that like my dad is my dad is 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 white but he also has Asian proven in him and so it's so interesting to me because you know there's also this bigger conversation of like ingrained racism in in Latinos uh, against Afro Af- African Americans and it's like but you but you are also like Afro-Peruvian, Afro-something. So it's sort of really weird. Like my grandmother, who's, who's uh, Afro-Peruvian, has made like comments, you know, about my husband. And that's when like we stopped talking for a while. And I was like, you guys do realize you're like the same color. Like it's it's not any different. And so I will say that we've had a lot of conversations about it, about their experiences. But I think the biggest issue we've ever had is them feeling like like they can say certain things about people here in America that are African-American. It's just the weirdest things. And I know it's not only Afro-Peruvians. Like I've heard other, like Afro-Cubans, Af- you know, and other places talk about that as well. And I just find it so interesting. Um, you know, it's disheartening, but it's, it's yeah, it's not right.
0: Yeah, and it's it's going to take time, right? It, and I, I think sometimes us in the diaspora, we're put in a position where we're trying to help the elder people in our family, yeah. like just be better. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. <laughs> so, all right. So thank you for sharing also like, you know, the how your parents went through the bankruptcy. I know that's very personal. There could be a lot of shame around that. And I actually experienced that as well with my parents um, mm. because unfortunately as, as hardworking as our community is, we just don't have the financial literacy resources that we could. And I, it's really amazing to see how many Latinx uh, folks are out there now trying to educate the community. Jenny Torres Rodriguez being one of them from the yeah, Yo yeah, yeah. podcast, right? And so I guess I'm curious about your what do you learn at home about money or what you see even in your family now? Uh, I'm trying to incorporate this theme into the platform of Peruvians of USA. Some are super excited and, and want to learn more. Others are very resistant to, <laughs> to learning. So uh, I'm tr- I'm still gauging, is this something that the community wants me to bring in more or not? And so I guess, what is your own experience in your family and your Peruvian family about uh, about money, the relationship with money?
1: So I think like, the real—it's so interesting because one of the first thing I think about is my grandfather, who was like so excited to tell me that he had—I um, don't remember—I think like thirty thousand dollars in his four hundred one k when he cashed it out, and I was like, "Don't don't cash it out early. You only have thirty. What? Why do you only have thirty thousand dollars? And you've been working for twenty years, twenty plus years. Oh, I only gave." You know, one per one percent. You know, I was looking at him, was like, I only gave one percent because the rest they'll steal. And I'm like, why do you guys have this mindset that people are out here to like steal your money? Like, I get it, you know, we have some um some what is the word I'm looking for? Like impact or like
0: trauma, 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 yeah, money trauma. Yeah, we have some trauma.
1: Yeah, we have some trauma. I was like, but there are good money spaces here in the world, you know? And I think in my opinion, when everything went down with my parents and their bankruptcy, you know, uh, my dad, he decided to become a carpenter and he got into the carpenters union. Then my dad saved his money. He paid off all his debt. And my dad has like mad secret accounts. Like, I know he like he's shown them to me. Like, my dad definitely changed a lot his relationship with money. My dad, let's let's say my dad has a thousand dollars, which he has like, a lot more than that but let's say he does uh-huh. and you ask him for a okay. dollar my dad will be like give me two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be like but dad like you know you have it and he'll be like yeah yeah but just give me two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> like he's still in that sort of like but he's good like he'll just be like or like like, uh my birthday is December, so my dad came over, right? And this is how, like, I get now that I see my dad and the way he's changed. Because if you asked him 20 years ago for a dollar, he'll say, yeah, yeah, here's 10. But now he's very smart with his money. So, like, a month ago, no, in December, he came over. And he goes, Gotti, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, Dad, I'm 35. Like, you still want to give me something for my birthday? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're going to laugh at this story. And I was like, yeah, I really want this new podcast, Mike. And he was like, Really? I was like, yeah, I want to transition from the blue Yeti to this other one that I, that I've been doing some research. He goes, how much is it? And I said, it's about 400. He's like, "Hmm, have you compared it to other, other companies? Yes. Show me. So now my dad wants to see the whole comparison, right? I show Yeah. So I show my dad the whole comparison. I show him two other companies and he's like, okay. And, uh, and what's the lifespan? What's the warranty? Like my dad asked very intelligent questions about where his money's going. Right. And mind you, I'm his daughter. And I don't take offense to any of it because that's my dad's process now as an adult safeguarding his money. And he doesn't mean that he doesn't trust me. It's just that he's being very super conscious about where his money goes. Cause you know what? That's how he keeps money in his bank. That's how he's being smart with it. He just doesn't throw it away. Then he says, okay, Kari, I got $400 in this gift card. Help me figure out how I can get these $400 in my bank account. I said, so we call the 1-800 number on the gift card. We spent another hour transferring the funds to his bank account. And then he helped me purchase it. And I just, I laughed at the whole situation because for me, to answer your original question, it's, he's an example of how far we've come from the trauma, from everything. And yeah. he's an example of somebody that's really learned how to yeah. keep his money.
0: Yeah. And, and for folks in the audience who, you know, in Peru, my, I, I don't remember this, I was maybe not even born or a little kid but i do remember my dad mentioning several times about the inflation that happened in the 80s in peru and how he actually got his like christmas you know bonus or whatever and then literally the next day it was worth nothing because of wow. inflation in peru and then also my mom recalls when um a lot of people put in their savings into a particular bank and i think his name is i don't remember the 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 bank owner or the bank general manager or whatever anyway ended up t- taking the whole money and so a lot of people who had put their life savings there, never get back their money. Uh, and so there's a lot of financial trauma with the Peruvian community be- from 80s and 90s. And so when we come here, we're like, we don't trust these banks. Anybody- these banks are trying yes, to take
1: our money. I know,
0: I know. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I just wanted to touch on that because I know some folks in the community are curious to learn other folks' uh, money story. Yeah, but- and
1: I think like, oh, sorry, <laughs> but I think, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that when I, graduated from graduate school I was 21 years old nobody had taught me about money yet I was ten thousand dollars in credit card debt because I didn't know how to spend my money I got with my husband who is like a penny pincher and saves all his money which was very difficult and we by year three I paid off all of my debt we lived in a 700 foot square apartment we didn't have cable we literally went nowhere but our couch (laughs) and to work and we saved and we saved and we saved And we went on vacations from time to time, but we saved a lot. And we got our foot back. And I remember, you know, this one thing that my dad taught me later on, which was just because you have it doesn't mean you need to spend it. And so right now, could I book a $5,000 trip around the world wherever I wanted? Yes, but I won't. And I maybe I will later. But I think it was such a good lesson of like, there has to be a perfect balance of safeguarding, investing your money and also spending it. You can't just spend, 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 spend and right. never save. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are a lot of things that we save for. We save for date night. We save for emergencies. And and if people look at us like, you know, they'll ask us, oh, you know, just buy this and be like, no, we won't. <laughs> or why is that such a big deal? You have the money. You could buy another one. No, it's a big deal because we saved for that couch or yeah. saved for that, you know?
0: Yeah, it's about priorities, really. What are your priorities at this moment? And one thing I've list, I've heard in the FIRE community, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early community, is that you can afford anything, but not everything.
1: Yes. Right?
0: <laughs> so it's yeah. really it's really thinking about your values and what do you value at this moment. What is your goal at this moment? Yes, of course you can you can book that round the, round the world trip but is that what you want now, right? Is that what you value now? Maybe you'll value that in five years from now and then you'll do it, right? So um, yeah, so I love these conversations um, for sure. But I definitely want to touch on your, your career as a life coach, particularly for moms. So tell us a little bit about that. Why, I don't want to say why moms because I think it's obvious for everybody, <laughs> but tell us why did you want to focus um, on providing life coach services for moms?
1: Sure. So when I started my life coaching business, um, it really came from a space where I felt like I had lost myself several times in my marriage, when I became a mom, when I became a mom again, and I felt like I wasn't alone. And I really wanted to figure things out. And part of that was setting boundaries, several cave seasons, which if listeners don't know, I define cave seasons as just seasons in your life where you kind of just like have a break from people or habits um, necessary just to reset. And from that really came this idea, idea of wanting to serve moms and then transitioning to women. So right now, yes, um, I started as a life coach for moms, but I primarily serve women. um of all ages. I have clients any, everywhere from 24 to 55, which is so beautiful to see some moms, some are not moms, but really moms primarily it started because I just felt like you get really lost in that role and you forget about yourself. And I think that society really really glorifies you not doing anything for yourself and just being everything for this little human being that you created.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I, so just for the audience, I am not a mom. So I'm coming from this conversation as uh, a friend who has girlfriends, who are mothers, uh, who has cousins, who are mothers and other family members. And I think sometimes we don't know the right way to support, right? Um, we, I, I think, I know one of the things I've done is I, I continue to include them on in invitations to different things that I, I, you know, planned. Um, many times they can't make it because, you know, they have responsibilities with their children. But I'm always curious, as like, what is the best way to support a mom as part of their community?
1: Yeah, um, that's such a good question. And I actually, I think I did a blog post on this, but it's like hidden in the web somewhere. And I think one of the things I said, was not, number one, is not getting offended. And what I mean by that is that I think it's very easy to have such a close relationship with somebody before they become a mom. And then afterwards, really think that, you know, it has to do with you and that they don't like you or want to hang out with you. And most of the times, I can't speak for everybody, but nine out of 10 times, it really isn't that. I think there's just something that happens when you have a kid that can... Feel a bit isolating, to be honest with you, and feel like nobody else can understand but other moms or anything else. And I think for me, the best support systems I've ever had while I gave birth were really the ones that weren't offended if I didn't respond to their texts in like two weeks. Like they didn't care. They were just like, no, girl, we understand you said a baby, you know, um, Two number two food like food is my love language so <laughs> if you're going to mail me some home cooked meals for the first month of my baby i would love that and and listen like i'm also the type that when i first have my kids like i mean no me gusta to entertain company like yeah. because it's a lot to entertain the company and the baby and then i got to get ready and Am I? I'm still a little bit overweight, and like, it's so much stuff. And then there's going to be people that are like, "No, everybody come over!" And this is pre-COVID, so I'm just speaking pre-COVID, right? Um, I think it was just a lot of pressure to entertain people yeah. when I gave birth. Yeah. So,
0: and I, that's all, such a good point because as part of the community, you you want to celebrate, right, that this milestone and the baby and meet the baby, and and you don't think about the mom is already providing nutrition and basically trying to keep this baby alive and now you're asking her to cater to this sort of event that uh you know to host she's already hosting the baby
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's already hosting the baby and then and then three like I would say continue to keep people included like it is what it is like I'm still included in a lot of stuff that I don't go to and people still out of just like love. And if they stopped including me, like I wouldn't, wouldn't, really, really wouldn't care. But that also means that like, I'll also tell you, I only have, I I know it seems like I have a million friends, but I only really have like three or four close friends like that really, really know me. Everybody else is just a really good friend, but like my they are good friends, but like my really close friends, I only have a couple that I talk to, usually on a daily basis, or like, I just texted one of my best friends, Melissa, who's a nurse, super busy, super intelligent. I love her with all my heart. And I literally texted her pictures of, of us in the past. And she said, seems like you miss me. And I said, yes, I miss you. And I love you. And I'll call you this week. Okay. And I haven't spoken to her in maybe two months, mm-hmm. and or maybe a month. And I haven't physically seen her like since November, I think like it's been a while and there's no resentment there. And, and, and we had this type of relationship before she became a mom and before she got married. So like, cause her baby, I think is a year old, um, or will be a year this summer. So yeah, I, I think that that would be my top three pieces of advice.
0: What about from your partner, particularly your male partner, what kind of support does a mother need from their male partner in this case, the husband?
1: <laughs> okay.
0: To get that, out of the way. <laughs> you're so
1: funny. <laughs> You're so funny. This is going to sound so weird, but I would say the best support that your partner can give you is I don't even know how to say it, but like not thinking too hard about what support they need to give you and just being there as a human being. And the reason why I say that is because one of the reasons that I married my husband is that early on, I realized there was no like mm, gender roles. And I'm going to explain that in a second. Like when we got married, we both decided that we were going to have an equal opportunity household. And what that meant was that dishes weren't automatically assigned to me because I was a woman, you know, like stuff like that is what I mean. And so we carried that through parenthood where like, I don't really like we do support each other, but it's not in a way where, you're supporting somebody because whatever you're supporting them in is their main role. Mm -hmm. So when I hear people say like, how can your husband support you and the baby? I'm just like, well, the problem is that we see that the wife or the mother has the main weight of the child that you both procreated in bed that night or in the, wherever you made the baby, (laughs) like wherever you made the baby. Right. But like you both were there. So like, why is all the heavy burden on her? And I've never, we have two boys together And we have two older, I have two older stepdaughters, but with the boys, uh, there has never been one day where I have felt like any resentment or have felt like I'm doing something because I'm the mom and my husband is not one day. And it may be because he grew up with three sisters. Like, I don't know what it is. He's just in that way. Jesus really knew that I needed that type of man or I was going to (laughs) freak crap out, you know, like God knew. And even now, like. Um, I talked about this a little bit ago, and I know it's not your, your question, but um, when I got this recent job in tech, I asked God why he didn't give me the job before, because I've been praying for a new job for 10 years. And he told me because my marriage would have never been able to handle it. It wasn't ready. And I wondered what that meant. And as I like sat there thinking about it, it came instantly to me where I was like, OK, the type of work that I do now. I take a 637 AM train. I'm up before everybody. I leave. I don't even see my kids in the morning and I'm home around seven, eight or night. I'm lucky if I see them at night. So my husband wakes up my kids, puts clothes on them, feeds them breakfast, you know, does the school thing, comes home, picks them up, does the dinner and puts them to bed. And I don't think that seven, eight years ago, before we were in marriage therapy, before we had a routine, before, every year you create more and more trust with your partner. I don't think there w- we would have been able to survive such a heavy job like now, mm-hmm. seven, eight years ago. You know what I mean?
0: Wow. Yeah. It's like you built that foundation.
1: Yes. You had to,
0: to build that foundation before this opportunity
1: could come in. Yeah. You said so. it perfectly. You <laughs> said it perfectly. We had to build like such it wasn't just a routine it was just like this like innate like trust like I ne- like I always hear people say like oh let me ask my husband if he can babysit the kids my husband does not babysit okay my husband is the father um so I'm gonna ask my husband. He's hu- parenting yeah he's parenting <laughs> let me ask my husband if he's available you know like not that he's babysitting
0: Yeah, I actually listened to another podcast. I think it's called We Still Like Each Other where the husband is like, oh, you know, I want to help you more. I want to, his wife just had a baby and she's like, you're not helping me. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, because you're not. As a dad, you're not helping. You are raising your child.
1: Yeah, and you know what too? Natalie, like, I just feel like as strong, independent women, we look at situations and we look at gaps. And if they don't get done, we just do it ourselves. And that was the biggest mistake I made. And so I would say in year seven and eight, I dropped the ball on everything. I'm serious. I dropped the ball on a lot of crap because I realized that part of what I was upset about was what I had created. I had created that Karina would always figure it out. Karina was, no matter if nobody did it, like Karina was going to do it. And then I was like, oh, my God, I created a really bad habit. Yeah. So I'm just going to drop the ball. Yeah. So, like, I would drop the ball all the time. Like, my son would come home and go, mom, today was pajama day. Oh,
0: <laughs> that's a made-up holiday.
1: <laughs> Be like, yeah, you forgot. Be like, mm. your dad and I both forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my son would look at me like, oh, like, yep. yeah, mommy just didn't forget daddy and mommy forgot yeah Yeah, daddy and mommy forgot or like my son would go to school without lunch and i'm like oh i guess people forgot (laughs) you like I wouldn't freak out. I would just drop the ball and not like, like I would wake up and be like, oh, whatever. I'm going to forget this day. But like, yeah. I had to stop filling my brain and yeah. energy up with so much responsibility and yeah. realize that like, I was really creating a bad habit in my yeah. relationship, yeah. you know?
0: And I think in general, we, as women and through the immigrant experience and, and helping our parents navigate yeah. the country too, we have been conditioned to be other people's safety net. And I'm like, yo, go. who's my safety net? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, for, and then maybe this could be a quick answer. I don't know, for, because you cover so much already. For couples who are planning to have kids, and, you know, particularly the moms are like, I don't want to lose myself. You know, they have all these visions of what they want to be as a mom. What, what could be like your one advice for like couples that are planning to have children?
1: Yeah. Here's my number one piece of advice put yourself first. I'm serious. Like, I was here first, so I will put myself first. My husband will tell you seriously that he puts himself first, too. Actually, I have to talk my husband into putting himself first because my husband will not put himself first but then blame it on me somehow in this weird way. Like, he'll be like, oh, you're going out? Yeah. Oh, I've always wanted to go out, too. You should. Like, when I got this new job, I bought, like, three pairs of sneakers. And I was like, oh, I always wanted to buy sneakers. You should. I'm <laughs> like, you know what? I should, right? I'm like, you should. Like, yeah. why don't you? You yeah. should. And, it, and he's like, yeah, you always remind me to put yourself first. And so for me, put yourself first. You were there first. It's you first for me. And a lot of people take great offense to this. Mm-hmm. And um, if this doesn't work for you, then don't. I'm just saying what works for me is putting myself first. Then, come. well, actually God comes first. Then me, then my marriage, then my kids. Because if I don't put myself first, then everybody else comes last. And what I mean by that is like, if I don't pour myself in first, if I don't pour myself in and have energy for myself, then everybody always gets the last of my energy, the energy that's yelling and upset and resentful. And so I need to put myself first so I can put them first too. You understand? Like, so they have the first bits of like, that I feel good, but it's usually me, my marriage and my kids. It just is. like, I know a lot of people hate that. My mom hates that. Like, But it, it is what it is.
0: Wow, that's such a beautiful message. Uh, Karina, thank you so much again for joining the in with USA. If anybody in the audience is interested in reaching out to learn more about you, your life coach services, they want to work with you, how can they connect with you?
1: Yeah, of course. So you can go to KarinaFDaves.com or search any of the platforms. I primarily live on TikTok and Instagram at KarinaFDaves. And feel free to book a sales call with me if you're interested in getting your life back or send me a DM. I would love to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on here. Just wanted to take a break here to share
0: that Provence of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that el mejor amigo de un peruano es otro peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said la mejor amiga de una peruana es otra peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode. Are you a small business looking to expand your digital footprint? Are you a small business looking to reach more of the Peruvian diaspora in the United States? consider sponsoring an episode of Peruvians of USA. Peruvians of USA has launched its first sponsorship program. If you're interested, please visit peruviansofusa.com slash sponsors or send us a message on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.